the meteorites of 1908 and 1947 had struck uninhabited wilderness. But by the end of the 21st century, there was no region left on Earth that could be safely used for celestial target practice. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Do you know where that's from, Jamie? No, I don't. So that is from Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama. Oh, well, that's topical, isn't it? Yeah. See, the reason why I brought that up is because uh, last week uh, we, we mentioned the, this, this, um, this massive rock that had entered the solar yeah. system from somewhere else, the first one to be captured. The first ever interstellar visitor. Uh, when I mean captured, I mean, you know, seen to be seen yeah the first interstellar yeah. visitor and they were going to they were thinking of there was lots of people saying that it should be called rama because of the similarities with rendezvous with yes. rama by by the mighty yeah. clark um but it has been uh, nicknamed hu muamua which means in hawaiian yes what does that mean in hawaiian i genuinely am trying to remember i think isn't it something like visitor from another world or something yeah it's like that a messenger from far away arriving first arriving first well i guess that does make sense more and more now tell me the dimensions of this thing um, isn't it like because it's quite a long long shape four four hundred meters long or something yeah 400 meters Mm. long and it was and and what's been brilliant this week is since we mentioned this on last week's podcast i'm not i'm not saying we broke the news we're not saying we broke the net or the news but we did but we did but uh yes uh, it's it's a lot of the press have been releasing this picture of a massive rock that looks a little bit like a sausage i suppose (laughs) (laughs) oh matt could you not do better than sausage a rock a rock cigar it looks a little bit like well no what does it look like a mint chocolate matchstick. Oh yeah, I suppose it does. A bit thicker than that though. Yeah. But it's floating in space, and it's and there it is, and it's um, it's now zooming away from us at eighty five thousand seven hundred miles an hour. Jeez. <laughs> so it's, that's quick, isn't it? Yeah, it's going quick. So it passed Mars in uh, at the beginning of the month, and it will get to Jupiter sometime in two thousand eighteen. I went. Like, Do you know going... where they also recorded the same speeds, Matt? Where. All of the um, people trying to get into the television stores and the supermarkets today for Black Friday. Sim- similar sort of scenes. As What's they wrong say. with people, Matt? I, I don't really know. I just know to... we're going off topic, but sort yourselves out. Do you know what it's I've been doing? I've been clearing out my flat. So now I just see things of purchasing things as buying clutter for my house. I'm decluttering, Jamie. I'm in, I'm in a new You're decluttering. Kind of, You're denesting. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm denesting. I'm kind of like a zen-like denesting period. I, for one, am proud of you, Matt, because, you know, it's this time of year. It's almost like they're trying to sell us stuff. Like there isn't like a massive spending season coming up anyway. <laughs> you won't see any adverts, no, for, for stuff to buy in the next two months. No, none at all. None at all. And, Matt, you think it's all over on, on Boxing Day? Think and then again. It all again. <laughs> January sales. Maybe Humuamua was sent to to save us. I think it was from I, this I, madness. I, I will just want to say one thing about Humuamua is Go that um, a it's got it starts with the letter O but starts with an apostrophe, which I should imagine is very annoying if you're trying to set up a website for it. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, but it makes it. I, I, I believe it starts with an H, but. Uh, as we'll find out in a second, I'm not one to be trusted <laughs> on no. pronunciation. You're very uh, cautious now, aren't you? Yes, I am extremely cautious. But, but but we must point out that our show is done very much on the fly, and therefore we can make <laughs> these kind of mistakes. Exactly. Um, um, but uh, <clears throat> one thing that's going to happen is I think we're going to see a lot more, and, and this is the, not just my prediction, but the prediction of people from who know stuff about astronomy and and these massive telescopes that are coming online, like the large synoptic survey survey telescope or the lsst that's being built in chile in chile um, chile chile uh is that right is that chile or or do you still say chile? oh you know what i'm i'm on the fence okay (laughs) i'm on the fence (laughs) this this is so hard isn't it when you have to pronounce everything right yeah Uh, and uh so yeah we'll see a lot more of them because i think um that they're obviously they're happening all the time but this is the first Mm. one we've actually ever seen and it's very very exciting massive long rock it's really weird you're happening all the time oh 
Jamie, that's really just, nice. Just sending a bit of love your way. So, Jamie, it can be a can, lonely place, this podcast world. You can have a moan at me, can't you? Because uh, a chap called Benjamin Wade wrote in. Because he yes, was, I, I like this. <laughs> I'm going to quote his uh, his email because because it's very nice. He says, "So I was sitting in the train this morning, enjoying your podcast when Matt incorrectly pronounced <laughs> Woomera again." <laughs> 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 and Again. Jamie casually challenged, and the, the, do you know what's what? You know this is terrible, but I genuinely mm. noticed that the, that I'd said it wrong when I was editing, and I thought I'm going to have to leave it in because the pod, what I said afterwards wouldn't make any sense, and it was all no. it was really annoying. But it, as I was editing, it's, it's like I sound really terrible because you 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 literally tell me I'm pronouncing it wrong, and I just brush you off. <laughs> it's the thing, Matt. I mean, you know, everyone thinks that I'm the stupid one of the two, but, but really, I'm yeah. just. I'm just lulling everyone. You are lulling everyone into you know? that. Yeah. You, well, but you're here as my fact checker. This but is the thing. You've been you've been brought to rights, and um, I'm proud of you, Matt, because you, you you're reading this out and you're moving on. Yeah. So um, I, I'm going to play the little audio file of how it's supposed to be said because I'm not even going to attempt it. Let's hear it. Woomera. There we go. That's that's how I say it. So I phoned up our friend David Baker, the space expert yes. and editor of Spaceflight magazine. Amongst How was he? All right. He was really on form and he's told me some absolutely incredible. It's just so ace speaking to a, uh, a space expert who has such a broad um, knowledge on the subject, including the kind of socio-economic um, background to it all so it's it's, it's it's incredible so but he really wanted to tell me i was going to speak to him as, as i said on last week's show about the bfr but he mm. said no he really what he that really the big breaking news was about sls so uh uh-huh. do you want to hear that breaking news about sls jamie well you're going to hear it here first i do let's go a good day Let's go. Here I am again, and uh, I've got my special guest, David Baker, with me uh, to chat about uh, manned spaceflight uh, coming out of NASA, because we've decided this is a very, very interesting story. So, uh, hello, David. Hello, Matt. Yes, indeed. Well, it's uh, it seemingly come right out of left field from apparently nowhere, but it's one of the most potentially disruptive series of events that could propel the next flight for American astronauts on an American-built spacecraft to potentially deep space destinations push it much further out than we had hoped that it could be achieved. So what are these uh, external forces that are, that are causing this, or internal forces perhaps? Well, to begin with, the first flight of an unmanned space launch system has been pushed back now to the first half of 2020. The internal NASA working date is 19th of November 2019, but the Congressional Research Service has been doing a very, very detailed analysis and says that there is a much higher probability of NASA being able to achieve that in the first half of 2020. So they've pegged it that it's no later than June 2020. Now, the first flight of the SLS is essentially with a vehicle which will, which will only be used once, a configuration that will only be used once. And the spacecraft that will be carried on that unmanned launch will go on a three-week journey to the moon and into a retrograde halo orbit around the moon. Now, this is an orbit which goes in the opposite direction to the way the moon goes around the Earth. And that's pretty much the geometry of the orbits that were flown by the Apollo missions. It's just that we've got a, a rather fancy phrase for it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that particular mission is designed to test the basic systems of the Orion spacecraft. But it will not carry life support systems, radar, or docking equipment, or any of the crew facilities that astronauts would need were they to fly that Orion spacecraft. So that mission first half of 2020, benchmarks the first flight of the space launch system. Now, NASA had hoped to follow that, which is known as Exploration Mission 1, with Exploration Mission 2, which no more than two years later was going to carry the first astronauts in Orion around the moon and back in a mission lasting about two weeks. And that would be essentially a repeat of Apollo 8, which flew at 
Christmas 1968, the first flight yeah. really out of Earth orbit, the first flight into deep space, and of course, obviously, the first flights around the moon. 54 years now, later, all that is, <laughs> I'm assuming. That's right, yes, 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 exactly. And, and, and that had been the benchmark of what NASA was planning for the last couple of years. There have been a lot of things coming in to skew that particular schedule. There were people at NASA under the previous White House administration. President Obama did not like the concept of going straight for a Mars mission and was looking very, very much toward an asteroid retrieval flight. That's completely now gone out of the window. Congress doesn't like it, and there are people at NASA who said, well, these very expensive rockets, why commit one of those to a mission which is not on the critical path either to further exploration of the moon or to Mars. So that has gone, but what is needed in order to get the manned Orion spacecraft to the moon and back on the second flight of an SLS is a much more powerful upper stage. And this is where we get to the crunch. In order to facilitate that additional stage nasa now says it needs 33 months between the flight of the first space launch system and the block 1b system with this new more powerful upper stage in order to get the pad ready launch complex 39b mm-hmm. to fly the manned orion but now there's concern from those who are riding shotgun on nasa's health and safety who say that you cannot put a crew onto this untried second stage until you've flown it unmanned first. Congress has been made aware of this and is now saying it wants NASA to fly the second mission with that new, more powerful upper stage for the Europa Clipper orbiter in the Jupiter system. Mm. So what we've now got is that a year after... Exploration Mission 1, the first unmanned SLS Orion, flies in 2020. A year later, in 2021, it will be used, the Block 1B with the new upper stage will qualify itself on an unmanned flight carrying this very heavy deep space probe to the moon Europa in the Jupiter system. That will then qualify it, if it works okay, for carrying humans. And because there's a three-year delay in being able to turn that pad around, it's got to essentially be pushed out by a further three years. So instead of flying in 2021, it would fly in 2023, followed a year later by the manned Orion spacecraft. And that's why it's it's been pushed further out, because the budget is flatlined, and it's so far along in the process that no matter how much money you threw at it, it still wouldn't pull back the time that is required to do all these changes in the engineering of the launch pad structure and qualifying these new flight stages, which are essential for the manned Orion, because the Block 1 simply can't carry Orion. Well, I mean, this, this surely one of the big problems I can see is that it's taken so long to develop SLS and actually have a manned flight on it. That that, that are they able to uh, achieve a cadence that's that's sustainable? It's, i.e., will, will the will SLS actually be a usable vehicle? Will it actually have enough work? To, I think NASA is very uh, aware that it has to justify viable. this, and I think that Congress is going to be looking very very closely at it. Although. Really, it's very difficult for Congress to cancel out on a system that it was primarily responsible for putting in place. Because if we look back at the old Constellation program, which began the development of a new super booster of Saturn V capability equivalents, it was really the Constellation program under George Bush before Obama's presidency, and it was cancelled during Obama, but work began on what was the Ares 5 heavy lift launch vehicle back in 2010. So we have been developing, essentially, for all of that period from 2010, um, a launch system that for five years previously was being developed as part of the Constellation program. Then when that was cancelled, Congress essentially said, oh, no, you don't, and reintroduced the concept of a heavy lift system, space launch system, acronym SLS, which now is dubbed humorously the Senate launch system, because it was the Senate 
<laughs> that, that actually required it. So they're, they're really, in, in the words of the French, they're hoist with their own petard. If they decide to cancel something, they were the ones that committed billions of dollars to developing. And any, any provision for that lift capability has to come from commercial industry. And we really have not yet seen anything that comes anywhere near the space launch system, despite a lot of, of presentations and marketing and graphics and wonderful short-span videos on YouTube from any of the contenders, any of the major contractors, SpaceX or anybody else, that really seriously, sensibly can get this lift capability, even by this extended date that NASA's got now. In terms of uh, SpaceX, they are saying that they're going to have a heavy lift vehicle, uh, BFR or New Glenn, uh, available. And that sounds yep. like that they're going to be available before this way before this manned mission if if we are to take obviously elon musk time is is a bit of a joke but we <laughs> but mm. but it's but what would happen if if those two commercial companies had a heavy lift vehicle then re, uh, what the case for sls then is is what well the overall capability of the of the space launch system is uh providing an opportunity for the development of military payloads as well. And the Defence Department is waiting until the first flight of the space launch system um, <clears throat> with regard to the potential application it has for some really, really big diagnostic platforms which the intelligence community would like to launch on an SLS because the stage diameter has the ability to create an optical system which is far bigger than anything which is flying in space at present. None of the commercial contenders, given albeit that SpaceX is now cleared on all of the security classifications to carry the most um, secret national intelligence payloads, which it is doing. It is now, it is now already booking aboard um, payloads for the military as well as the, um, as the U.S. intelligence community. So SpaceX launch vehicles could slip into that category. But when you look at the performance of these companies to date, the amount of slippage in their own projected schedules has been greater than the loss of time NASA has had on its projections on when it will be able to achieve these objectives. So if we extrapolate forward, if, if we push on forward and say, well, let's, let's take the record of the Falcon rocket, for instance, and these other um, contenders, mm. nothing ever happens in human endeavor when you actually plan to have it happen. It always pushes further and further down the road. That's just natural. Um, and yet, when you look at the hopes and aspirations of these companies, they don't have a tremendously good record on being able to adhere to anything near their own projected times. And that's been, been right the way through the commercial launch contracts for resupplying the International Space Station with uh, cargo and logistics and also the readiness of Crew Dragon. And for a while, the companies were moaning and complaining that they were not getting the subsidies from government. Because, because the thing that we have to remember is that so far, these vehicles, all of the vehicles that have been projected and are being built, have been built on huge government subsidies from the American taxpayer. Um, the actual companies mm. themselves have put in only a third of the money that these projects have cost. So NASA has been contracting with these commercial ventures to the tune of billions of dollars, but it's still been cheaper than if they'd done it themselves. And, and the overall cost-effective nature of it is valid. So I'm not criticizing the concept of using commercial contenders, but let's get real, I'm saying, and really understand that suddenly when they start cantilevering out and there's no government contracting money to back them up or to subsidize them, they're going to be going into very, what will need to be very deep pockets in order to fund things that know, that do not now have a government imperative behind them. And NASA is not going to pay Elon Musk to develop SpaceX products to preempt something they've already spent billions of dollars on themselves. Uh, in terms of risk to the SLS program, 
Uh, can you see anything that would be... Um, would basically finish it off. Would, is is there a risk that's on the horizon that that you could see that would say, well, that's that's the nail in the coffin to this particular configuration that NASA has? Well, I can't really see any major showstopper. Um, although, having said, never say never, um, I think has to come to the fore because I don't think we could have projected the Obama administration a year after he came to power summarily cancelling all of NASA's human spaceflight plans and deciding to turn everything over to commercial contractors when there wasn't even a vehicle that could take NASA astronauts out of Earth orbit. So we've had tremendous shockwaves and convulsions through the transformational changes that have got us to where we are now. I think there is a consistency of uh, direction Um, And this is not in any way a statement, positively or negatively, on the current occupant in the White House. (laughs) Um, Nothing at all to do with that. But for the first time, we have got... And you know, Matt, I've been been working and watching this for 50 years. (laughs) Um, But we've never seen an alignment where... You're talking about planetary alignments being favoring the gods. Well... I'll tell you what, we have Congress lined up in this direction, the White House lined up, and a new NASA administrator lined up right behind the program plan that is now being ordered into process without any major convulsion. We at least have a president who is not completely transformed and want to stamp his own imprimatur on a policy change. He's made the statement through Mike Pence, the vice president, that NASA is going back to the moon as a proving ground for Mars exploration. Now, this doesn't mean the development of expensive manned moon landers necessarily, Mm. but really to use moon orbit as a residential staging place for essentially mini versions of the International Space Station, the Deep Space Gateway, which can then be shifted out to Mars orbit with electric propulsion systems, which is one of NASA's highest driving technology ventures at the present time. And they're also looking also at nuclear thermal propulsion systems. So we've got a consistency. I, I cannot... With the caveat, never say never, I cannot see um, any way in which this will be other than an utter catastrophic failure of the technology to achieve a flight system. But even a failure with the first, that that wouldn't condemn the program because um, they don't react like that in America. No. If you get a failure, they're going to keep going until it succeeds. It's not going to be on a loss of launch that will determine the fate of this vehicle. And uh, right now, for the first time in 50 years, we've got Congress, the White House, and NASA lined up behind the same objective. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. He's a legend, isn't he? He's a legend, and and that's really interesting, isn't it? It's it's actually quite depressing that we're not going to see uh, any kind of manned flight in SLS until 2024. I mean, that's that, a while, isn't it? That's a that's a long while, isn't it? But there was some optimistic yeah. stuff about the uh, the whole program. I shall be playing the second half of that chat that I had with uh, David next week. Good, uh, good. I've got a couple of news items, Jamie. I've got oh, a couple yeah. of news items before we move on to our second half of the Brian Blessed uh, interview. I know everyone can't wait. And yeah. by everyone, I know I know that that's me <laughs> and my mum. Uh, anyone no, I'm else? really confused now. Um, Issa... Um, are are cleared to launch for a, a CubeSat that they've developed, which is quite exciting. Nice. It's called GOM X4B. GOM X4B, yeah. and it's a it's the largest technology testing CubeSat built so far, and it's going to launch on a long march from China next year, and it's going to go with its identical pair, its identical twin, the GOM X4A, which is owned by the Danish Ministry of Defence. That's going up in February the 1st. My so, Lord. Yeah, so these things are going to go up and they're going to orbit exactly 4,500 kilometres apart. Uh, and that's going, to be, that's going to be controlled by this new cold gas propulsion, uh, which has is, which is come from Sweden's nanospace company, uh, which is 
really, really tiny, uber tiny miniaturized thrusters. So that should be really exciting. So that's I love the word nano. Nano. Good on you, Sweden. Yeah, so uh, Sweden are up there. And, and the, the other story I've got, actually, is uh, about Sweden as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Sweden want to enter the satellite launching market. So I don't know if you're aware. Uh, we should have mentioned it, really, last week when we spoke about Skylark, and I may have done. Uh, Skylark, obviously, was having its 60th anniversary of flying into space. But its very, right. la- but its very last flight actually was out of Sweden's uh es range site so s range uh, stood for uh the esro which as you remember from a few episodes ago was the kind of um precursor to esa um, yes. so and esro uh, esro had this uh, rocket range which was their sounding rocket range and it's called s range es range and uh, and Sweden have carried on using this facility. It kind of uh, the Swedish kind of inherited it uh, in sort of in the in the seventies. Uh, mm. The Swedish space I can't remember, I think the Swedish Swedish Space Centre, um, and it's now called the S Range Space Centre. And they've been firing sky uh, 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 rockets, sounding rockets up from there. And they've got this kind of pyramid which the Skylark used to fly out of as well, which is really, really interesting little building. But yeah, S- wow, yeah. So uh, uh, and that and that's that uh, kind of pyramid building that uh, that the Skylark used to fly out of, that used to protect the Skylark from the com- really freezing conditions there. Um, I think it's a Brazilian rocket that flies flies out of it now. So it's been used for sounding rockets and uh, space experimentation. But uh, the um, they actually want to use it for uh, flying up satellites. So Sweden may enter the satellite launching business and become one of only a handful, ten or eleven countries that are able to do it. How about I, that? I I really like that. I've been to Sweden a few times and I've loved it. Uh, and if you live in Sweden and you're listening now, and you're a space nut, can you please email us in? And just let us know what you think about that. You know, I'd like to know what the word is on the street. I think it's awesome. That's what I think. Can you do an impression of the Swedish chef from uh, the Muppets, Matt? (laughs) Uh, I'd like also people from Sweden to just email in about how racist Matt was just then. Um, <laughs> no, but everyone heard how Jamie goaded me into doing it. You I can't totally do did. that. You That's because I've just finished watching Making a Murderer and I'm feeling like a, a bad cop. <laughs> You're feeling like um, a, like someone who sets their yeah, friends up I won't up say anything else because it might ruin it, but well, my, you know, my Lord. We've said some dodgy things on the podcast, but that was probably one that of the worst. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. <laughs> I would like to, but I'd like to be in a band called Bad Cop. Oh, what you could be in two there, bands if there's not one i'm claiming it now bad cop bad yeah. cop or bent cop what do you think bent cop <laughs> so uh, i have to say we're, 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 there's not much talking from jamie and i because poor old jamie's got man flu at the moment i've got man flu i am but you know what matt i'm such a professional he's a pro that there is no way i'm gonna let my chesty cough and runny nose Get in the way of space news. Hang on a second. Wasn't Chestikov one of our um, astronauts of the week? <laughs> <laughs> good. Oh, thanks. Very uh, and good. a cosmonaut of the week, I should say. So That's anyway, I, let's um, let's hear Brian Blessed. Let's just stop messing around. Let's just go straight let's to the get, to Let's the get B-dog. the legend back in. Here goes. Part two. I did say we're the children of stardust, which I feel very much about. Um... And that we belong to the stars. We're yearning for the stars. We've got to get out there. But the Earth, I didn't want to depress them, but from the recent reports, the Earth is really taking a hell of a beating at the moment. Apparently, it's kind of, kind of dreadful wounds on it. I was on Concord once, you know. I did six journeys on it. I didn't pay for it. <laughs> but they put me in, because of my love of space, they put me in with the pilots. So I got in with the pilots. And, uh, and there was, you know, and I, I, as it went to Tumac, uh, I'm sat in a seat with them, the four seats at the front and the cockpit, and they had two pilots. And put your hand on the skin outside. It was very thin. It had stretched like human skin. And it was hot. 
as we went to 60,000 feet. Now, as we turned into New York, close to New York, the sky above became brilliantly, beautifully red. God, that's gorgeous. What is that, I said. You know, I said, that, Brian, is pollution. And it's dense and it's thick and we can't penetrate it. And it's getting worse by the day. It increases on all our journeys, we see it. So the pollution is absolutely astonishing. You know, so that, I think that this is, so what is going on in China? The bloody coal mines and everything. Branner's just come back there from promoting um, Orient Express. He's playing Poirot. And he came back with terrible throat condition and huge headaches. He's only been there for three days. Christ, I had a mask at everything and I'm being looked after. The pollution is terrifying. And uh, so on my adventures, I do notice pollution all over the place. Going in the Arctic to the North Pole, uh, you see the Eskimos or Inuit. I'm not criticizing them, but from their, from their different headquarters and stations where they live, um, 15,000 of them, their excrement and shit is floating under the ice like vast clouds of, of kind of mess going under the ice. And this is happening all over the world at the moment, as you know, with the plastic. And therefore, it has to stop. We have to, the, the, the word is stop. And, you know, and we go, uh, but we've got 29 nations who you know, have done the Paris Agreement, and I think we'll succeed. And the animals have got to be protected. I firmly believe that um, one of my favorite films is Silent Running. And where they take the biospheres mm. out there, and we can take the animals out there, we can take them other planets. We can terraform. The main thing is not to spoil that planet, but have people with taste, pure architects, people of imagination and care. We've certainly got to get out there. The Earth has got to rest. And you, you, you know, I've noticed on Everest that the oxygen levels are falling. That I've twice been in a situation where I'm in a vacuum. Quick, get to where the wind is. Oh, breathing. There are vacuums occurring on Everest when it drops. So one mustn't be depressing. One mustn't be a prophet of doom. We're going to make it. But at the moment, the Earth is, Gaia is suffering. She's suffering. And we need to let her rest. And we need to get out there. But unfortunately, most of our politicians do like imagination. You can see them and you groan when you see them. They're not like you three. Just look at your faces. But, but, but your faces are open, your faces are sensitive, your faces are alive with the adventure. And you can see they've gone dead, and they're almost crystallized, and they need shock. So I do shock them. I, I, once a year, I'll be, I'll be on Andrew Neil again this year. I, I give them the presents as Father Christmas, and there's Portillo. And then I really, you know, come in. What would you think about Trump last time? Well, I said, I've met Americans all my life. I was in the RAF, and I was situated and stationed with the Americans at uh, Upper Hayford, huge place. Atom bombs there, hydrogen bombs, met the Americans, and this, and I met top American brains at drama school. Some of the great brains, Fulbright students and professors from Harvard, brilliant, sophisticated men, the like of, you know, that you've never seen. They were so wonderful. And I cannot understand how they can, you know, cough up Trump. <laughs> but... You know, of course, you do realise what he loves. Bit of space. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, he, he wants to bring the space program. He wants to get the space program going. So out of the darkness there is light. Uh, but uh, but we are going to make it. But the Earth needs our help. Uh, you know, um, we talked about uh, uh, you know that remembering and discovery and so forth and. Um, I, I just think in this memory and understanding, we know a great deal about the universe. But I do feel, I've said passionately to SETI, that you should find ways of sending out an SOS, because we do need help. I do think at the moment we need help with the wars and the understanding of religions and the state of people. But then, you see, I did say to you, I firmly believe this, that what is in the realm of the imagination exists. It's a chemical remembrance. So all the demons, all the terrifying creatures, all the uh, dreadful 
civilizations of great aggression and brilliance far beyond us. We'd be like a little rabbit with Tyrannosaurus Rex compared to them, technically. And they exist. Everything in your imagination exists, as well as the marvellous things. So the universe isn't just sweetie, 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 and corona, 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 and uh, um, various lovely stars, and, and the new tabby star. So I mix with Zubrin, and I mix with Gollenbeck, and I mix with uh, John Pillinger, and Patrick Moore, and, everybody, and many other people that I'm working with. But this was a letter. This shows what certain aspects of the public are thinking. And this sent to me, I suddenly found it, uh, uh, Thursday, the 22nd of May, 07, 2007. Uh, dear Brian, great to meet you yesterday. Uh, do hope you enjoyed uh, your Mustang flight. It was on a kind of exhibition flight, so Spitfires, yeah. in spite of the weather. The backup was to be with me in a tiger moth biplane. Sorry it didn't happen. I was intrigued to hear about your space flight plans, and I would I'd be most interested uh, to learn more and maybe uh, even get involved in the same stuff. I have a broad view of that wonderful multi-dimensional environment above and beyond the Earth. Perhaps neither of us will be around to bear, uh, to bear witness to the great intergalactic starships harboured as they surely will be on the far side of Orion. But, like you, I believe that mankind is destined to leave the Earth and travel forever into eternity, stardust to stardust. Looking forward to hearing from you and whatever else to meet up at the flying proms. I'm just this just a sweet fellow who flies biplanes, but it does emphasize just how much people want to get out there. I did Lollington Downs for you the the poem, which I did to Patrick Moore shortly before he died, the stanza Lollington Downs. But I had to go long walks with my father, because of the, all the coal miners were wonderfully imaginative, around the embankment and the seven fields in South Yorkshire. And I tried to explain to him about the magic of acting and the best things about acting, and that its core is mystery, a great mystery at the core of true acting. But I said, my biggest love is space. And I come out here, and I look at the Milky Way, the whole tapestry of the Milky Way, and there they are, the blue, green, brown, uh, black suns, purple suns, out there. And, and there they are, and... Uh, and Myriads and myriads of stars, I said, you know, that absolutely teeming with life. There are billions and trillions of galaxies. The Milky Way is a small one. And now, I mean, Professor Brian Cox tells me there, there are other universes, parallel universes, which opens up a whole can of beans. It's all very exciting. So I told my dad all about this, which he had absolutely adored these walks looking at the night sky. And then I did recite Lollington Downs to him, which, you know, uh, which is a wonderful stanza by John Macefield. And so we were all brought up on space and time. And, so, and I find that space travel and the Interplanetary Society is a very good symbol, a beacon to the rest of the world, uh, that it gives us hope and I have not changed since I was a child. And my father was 99, shortly before he died. I said, oh, what's it like to be old, Dad? He said, what do you mean old? I'm not old. I'm like I was when I was a child. It's just me, Brian. It's just me. I do think we live forever. I think it's a, a godsend. And I think being part of the human race, it is said the angels are slightly jealous of us because we have the Godhead. And so I do believe implicitly that we need to get out there. We are the guardians of this planet. The animals need us to guard them. I do guard them as much as I possibly can and doing all kinds of projects. But we're going to get there. But we have to beat the drum and we have to be fierce about it. Uh, but some of the things out in space will not be on our side. And after all, and other civilizations who might be our equal 
in intelligence and development uh, may not want to come to a planet that has so many wars and is so warlike. Uh, so we really have to improve our behavior. Did you ever meet Arthur C. Clarke? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, no, no. I saw him at a conference, but I didn't ever talk with him. Wonderful man, Clarke. Uh, I, I think he, the, the most powerful thing he ever said was uh, he talked about traveling to other galaxies. And, you know, it's the same as Zubrin said to me when I met him um, at NASA. He said, Brian, we are already there. We are here. We don't really need to. You just, as Clark said, there is a tape and we are here. You just turn it over yep. and we're there. So science has to go in that direction, Brian. The idea of rocket ships, he says, is primitive. It's a primitive way to travel. Uh, I think what... Angers me and blew my mind was the Cassini program recently on Horizon. Now, when Horizon, the BBC program, was on years and years and years ago, it used to win every award. I've been Zed Cars and I Claudius, Long John Silver, and I would be in the conferences while they got their award. It was always Horizon. And the director was always said, or the producer would always say, Well, what's wonderful about being part of Horizon and all these gifted people? Um, he said, Is is it just fills you with awe. That's all he said. And now recently, imagine H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. If they could have what you've got here, or a laptop or a podcast. If you get a laptop, you can go on that laptop. Within seconds, you can look at Pluto. And it's not a dark planet, but it's a beautiful pinky planet. And then you see all the moons of Saturn and all the moons of Jupiter. And we can see, the, we can see continents on some of these giant moons. Contrast, you know, Cassini there on Saturn when it moved to its giant moon and looked at it. Titan, was it? Titan, yeah. And there was Titan. And there were continents like Africa and South America and helium seas. And then Cassini, I mean, Huygens had done so well to film that. And then Cassini went along. They managed to do it from here. It went along all the moons and found the smallest moon, Enceladus. And it had geysers. 200 feet high, and life forms, obviously. The whole moon was vibrating with life. Imagine if H.G. Wells and Jules Verne could have seen that. I'm excited. And I thought yeah. that the, uh, the other day, the best program I've ever seen in my life was the final program of saying farewell uh, to um, oh, Cassini. Cassini. Uh, Cassini. And it was wonderful, because they've been on it for seven years. And he's discovered so much, and they're still analysing it. So it went to Enceladus and this, that and the other. And then they thought, well, we can't land it on Enceladus, because it might have some of the human germs. It might then, once we go to Enceladus, it will then... Contaminate. You know, people say, well, that wasn't... The, 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 those germs or those molecules or whatever it is, those animals... The sea animals have come from the earth, really. Uh, gestation has come from the earth. So we've got to stop that and take it back to Saturn, Cassini, and vaporize it in the atmosphere of Saturn so that we make it all pure. We leave it all pure, but we've got our discoveries. So they find Enceladus. And there was a woman on it. I have never known such drama. I've never known so moving. A woman who'd been on it for years. And she had done specialist work from New Zealand. I first came from New Zealand to NASA. She said, uh, jet-lagged and shaking with fear to meet all these best brains. And they, they, they kind of tossed me aside. And then gradually I realized what I was saying. I was right. And this had adjusted and developed Cassini and Huygens. And they were my ideas. And they accept. And I was weeping and, and, and uh, without sleep. And they embraced me. No, you're right said science. And so NASA embraced this woman from New Zealand, who was very sweet. And she was there for the demise. It was farewell to Cassini. She was there for the demise in the studio live on Horizon. And Cassini was her baby, really, more than anybody else's. 
And Cassini's now left Enceladus, and it's heading across the moons, and it's heading for uh, Saturn to be vaporized. And it's coming along, and it's going beep, 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 beep. And they're all sitting, this woman sitting there from New Zealand, with tears in her eyes, because her baby's going to die. (laughs) And it was coming on, coming on, coming on, and they were all watching with tears in her eyes, and it got near to Saturn now having done a fabulous job filming Enceladus and all that, the other. It got there to Saturn through the rings and you heard peep, 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 peep. Silence. And she wept like a baby. Her baby had died. One of the most moving bits of television, and we watch all this crap of EastEnders and all this crap with Coronation Street. Everybody as thick as pig shit. And she was thick as pig shit. And we have, and no bugger watched it. Yeah. About 10,000 people watched it. Don't worry, Brian. My kids watched it. So. Did they? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And it was just, wasn't it moving? It was so moving. So that's, thank God. But it was, you know, BBC Four. I mean, that's matter. But I mean, but one of the most... That's the best program I've ever seen in my life. That's what we're it was so to human. Yeah. It was so human. And that's what the Interplanet Society is about. Mm. You are a beacon, but that's what it's about. And you keep people awake, awake, awake. When the Buddha became self-realized, I'm not a Buddhist. <laughs> when Buddha became self-realized after many months, because he gave up a kingdom, he gave up being a prince, he gave up the Rolls Royce, he gave up Buckingham Palace. He, gave, he went in the jungles for years. He was terrified of the tiger. And then eventually, he tried everything. He tried yoga, he tried this, he tried that, he tried different routes, and they couldn't, he couldn't get there. He couldn't get there. He couldn't find freedom. He couldn't find oneness, which was huge, self-realization. And then he did, under the bobo tree. And he burst the bubble of the universe. And Mara came down, the devil, Mara, was a beautiful host, because several galaxies had burst into different flowers at the celebration of this astronomical achievement. All the galaxies, all the galaxies are smiling and weeping with celebration. All the flowers of different kinds are all opening in celebration. How wonderful. Congratulations from me too and my host. I would like to offer you many universes for yourself to handle. You can have them yourself and be master. You can develop them in any way you wish. And Buddha said, no, go away. And this happened many times. And back came Mara again. Hello, Buddha. What you've achieved is it's even growing in the many galaxies of the universe. Well, you cannot consider this. I'm staying here with mankind. Why? They won't understand you. He said, some of them will. (laughs) Go. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, and so I feel that, and when he walked into the streets, and this is the end of this bit, people said, your eyes, your eyes, are so wonderful. Are you a king? He said, no. Are you a prince? No, no. Are you a god? No, no, no. What are you? He said, I am awake. And I think, one way or another, we've got to awaken to our present crisis. This is the, that we've got to awaken and we are the protectors of the animals. We are the guardian of this planet. It's a big responsibility. I think we'll succeed. I think the do-gooders, including your three good selves, the three musketeers here, <laughs> that in actual fact, you will succeed. That's why I'm here. You're not being paid for it. I don't give a toss. Of course I'm not being paid. You know, because I feel the angels have listened to us tonight. We're part of it. I've spoken the most, but <laughs> I, you, you have thought and felt things probably deeper and more so and so we're all in it together we're going to succeed Absolutely, and I want to go out there I I, you know I want I want to go out there totally and so no I you know I've I've felt 
very sorry for the Branson thing. And the, I, I met the pilots. They came to my little wooden shed, and they were a bit dubious about the construction of the plane. It looked a bit fragile to me. It looked a bit thin, you know, and and so forth. With the prospect of me being on it, I thought, no, 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 no. If I go anywhere, I'll go with Zabrin. I'll get in his bubble. I'll go. I'll go with. I'll go with Sabrin, who looks like a kind of malformed yeti. Oh, we've had, we've had him on the yeah, sky. Have you? Yeah, we've, we've been He's a wonderful man, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, we've been well, So enthusiastic, isn't he? We had, he's written a, recently he wrote a, a brilliant article for the Journal of the British Interplanetary Society, and it was about how, yeah, the, the, that whole thing about having a memory, maybe it's bacteria that have flown in from other star systems and, and as... Are, are influencing our very evolution on, on him. Oh, you couldn't print that to me and send it. Steve, are you there? Come and grab this. Oh, man. You see, that's not an accident. That's part of us now creating something that's going to be very important. Steve? Yeah. Oh, you're there. Could you take this from the lad? I'll, 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 make, I'll make sure. Yeah, I'll make sure you get that. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Is that what he said? Yeah, it's a, pan, a sort of a, a beefed up version of panspermia. Yeah. Oh, fucking marvellous! Yeah, we'll send you the link. We we talked to him for about a good hour, and he was amazing. Yeah, thank God. You know, <laughs> except for they all fucking hate Hoogland, you know all that. You know Hoogland, all that bollocks. You know what I mean about Mars and so forth. Uh, you know. And when I was on Reunion Island doing all the training, we had macrobiologists and geologists on there who spit fire if you mention Hoogland. Is that what he says about the face and, and, and the coordinates with the sticks? For fuck's sake, bro! <laughs> <laughs> and they go on. They fucking go on and on and on. I, I must end by that. Wait a minute. And, and, um, and uh, they went quite potty. But we were filming all in all the craters, but we had our little hut, and we put a notice board, and I put a notice board up. We had it all printed out beautifully, you know, that Charles Frankel was one of the team. Frankel has admitted that Hoogland's right, in its headlines, <laughs> they have found aliens on Olympus Mons and, and under, underground cities and underwater cities, Aqualung cities, and this has been verified by Charles Frankel, the geologist. Who the fucking hell put this up? <laughs> <laughs> it confirms Hoogland is right. You know, so, and he used to fucking lose his toe, didn't fucking like that at all. Poor another fucker up. You know. <laughs> Hoogland is right again. Uh, but um, what can I say about that? Um, Anyway, I'll end on this. Because I can't thank you enough. Thanks for this interview. Um, thank you. I, just, I, I was in Tarzan, the animated Tarzan. I'm the villain. I'm the eight-foot man, uh, Clayton, who kills, tries to kill the gorillas and imprison them. A very good animated film, Disney. Did. I was on it for two years. And I'd just come from The Lost World. And it would crash in the fucking Lost World. Just managed to get back to England, almost killed in the fucking plane in the Lost World. And then they said, right, you've got to get down to Disney straight away. So I got down to L.A., you know. And um, I, I, I never forget that uh, I, I finished it. Brian, you did a great job as Clayton. I'm really terrific. He's the v total villain who dies at the end. Tarzan kills him, etc. It's a terrific scene. Well, you've done a great job, Brian. You've done a wonderful, Brian. And as I'm going out, I can hear the Tarzan doing the yodel. And he couldn't fucking do it. He, <laughs> he, he, and of course, we did it with Johnny Weasler yeah. in the 1940s. You know, as kids, we saw him in the cinema. But we all yodeled. And when our bank and yodel, Brian, we kind of goddamn said, Disney, we can't get anybody, Roy Disney. We can't get anybody, Brian, nobody can fucking yodel. We can't get anybody fucking yodel. <laughs> I, well, I can fucking yodel. I can't probably, I've been talking too much. <laughs> but actually, <clears throat> well, here we go. So, oh, I'm not done it properly. <laughs> but I did it. <clears throat> I've been talking too long. But I actually can do it perfectly. My God, God damn it. And they ordered me. <coughs> they give me another contract for the fucking yodel. <laughs> oh, I did that. Give, God damn, give him a fucking contract. <laughs> so I was there for another two days. Anyway, when I was leaving, uh, I was on BOAC, whatever it is, 747, whatever it was. I got in the, get in the cockpit, Brian. I get in the cockpit. <laughs> we hear, we hear you, don't we, that you've um, had a dreadful time in the lost world. On that Pilatus plane, the Czechoslovakian plane, terrible planes, Brian. No wonder you crashed. 
And come and sit down, come and sit down. I've got some coffee coming through. We're setting off now. Here we go. This is the latest 747 or whatever it was. <clears throat> BOAC. English pilots. English plane. And we set off. And then a storm loomed up out of LA. And the fucking big storm. Uh, we're going to have to go around this. We're going to have to go around this. Yes, indeed. Brian, just strap yourself in. Oh, God, I've just been fucking crashed in this fucking... <laughs> and now I'm in the best plane in Britain and it's going to fucking crash. <laughs> and we'll have to go around the storm in Nimbus crowds everywhere. We'll go to the... No, and there's no point. It's too high up and it's too... can't get below it. We've got to go to the left. And so we did for about half an hour. And then they said, Brian, here we go. Watch to your left. Z- F-18, F-16s. You guys, you cannot go along like this. You've got to go back in the storm. I don't care. We know your problems, but you've got to go back. You've got to do what we say. You do not fly here. You go back, you go under, or you go to the right. Do you hear? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Sir. Now, let's see you go. And another six came up. And they would have... It looked like they might shoot us out in the fucking sky. <laughs> and we went, the American F-16s and F-18s. And we got, eventually got round. And I said, what the hell was that? He said, Area 51, Brian. We're going over Area 51. So that's how sensitive Area 51 is. I just put that up as a teaser. But I had experience of Area bloody 51 coming from L.A. Uh, so... They're very sensitive about Area 51, you know. And um, so that was quite something. Kind of a, <laughs> so there's an awful lot going off, isn't there? Uh, in the lost world of the, in South America, in Venezuela, uh, the Great Forest, 60% of it unexplored. Uh, there are two companies out there, run uh, UFO companies. <clears throat> and they take you out there for you to look at the UFOs of uh, the lost world, or Rama. Once a week, they fly around. <laughs> so, you, so my experience is like that. It goes from the absurd to the, to the ridiculous. Uh, but um, there does seem to be things going on. I'll end by saying that the Concorde pilot lives, retired now. He was upset that Concorde was redu- taken off the market. And wonderful plane, you know. I mean, terrific plane, really. Very exciting to be in it. <clears throat> Sorry about the disaster. What a shame. But anyway, I walk my dogs there near Lightwater, and he's a retired pilot now, and he still talks about it, and it shouldn't have been retired, Concorde. And I, I asked him about, it is said that the Americans have advanced planes. Because I pride us on, you know, I've, I've been in a MiG-25 and, and so forth, and we've got all our javelins and, you know, all our different typhoons and God knows what. The Eurofighter is so sensitive. You know, if it lands on a lawn, it could bloody blow up. It's so sensitive compared to the Russian MiG, which has got rivets bigger than your ass. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's, but I, I said, well, what about the Aurora? The Americans, I've heard this, all these rumours about Aurora that can travel between seven and 15,000 miles an hour in an atmosphere like the Earth. That's tremendous friction and strain. I mean, you, you go in a bloody spitfire when it turns... I don't know how they shot any bugger down. When it turns to the right, it nearly breaks your ribs. Because yeah. oh, rough metal, you know. Bloody hell, they would they'd quickly put them together and put the engine in. Go, me. But... Uh, what God knows what the if the Aurora exists more than an F eighteen or seventeen, and he said, "Well, Brian, for my money, it does." We were in the Concorde several times. I said, "Isn't it on a pulse?" But it, pulse, pulse, pulse. It goes on a strange catapult pulse. Move, yes, Brian. We'd suddenly see a wisp, another pulse. Yeah, it's the Aurora again. And apparently it's taken many lives. Many pilots have died in them. The strain. Special pilots. Now better protection. But he was convinced, one of the pilots of Concorde, in Lightwater, that um, the Aurora exists. So what I'm saying there, for there's lots of things going on at the moment as regards space. The rocket is obsolete. It's kind of primitive. The circle, or whatever it is, we have to embrace. 
there are better ways of travelling in space. So gravity and the problems of gravity and cosmic rays and so forth. Because what I say, I am brilliant when I talk to NASA. I'm brilliant when I talk to people like that in English and Europe. And I just simply say, well, Brian, because I think I am dying since I was age of seven. Well, Brian, we are doing our best, Brian, says NASA. We're doing our best. It's not good enough. Get off your asses where we do have cosmic rays, Brian, and camera. Make friends with them. Make friends with them. Make friends with the cosmic rays. Let's get out there. I'm sick of sitting there since the age of seven. Get off your asses. Okay, Brian. Okay, we will. <laughs> so they like it that I just have a passion for space and the beauty of it all and so forth. We have been sitting on our asses for some time. I still wouldn't. Britain, we are so gifted. I mean, the bloody young scientists we've got. I went to Cambridge, I was always made Chancellor. I met all, met all these young scientists out of work. And they can be in work. Yeah. Colin Pillinger knew how to employ them and get them going. We're so gifted. We have a particular gift for space travel and creating the best planes. When we have to, we can create the most sophisticated planes. And we give our technology up. We sell it and give it up. You know, have idiots in charge. <laughs> idiots. Anyway, thanks for talking to me. Uh, thank you. It's been amazing. No. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. The Interplanetary Podcast is alive! He's my favourite person ever. He is my favourite person ever. He's... I. I I think we should do a series of him. Like, can we interview him like once every six months just to sort of see how he's doing? How about once an episode? That'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? I, that would be great. There, there's, there's, there's so many things in there to unpack that he says, and and, and I obviously there's things that kind of fly in the face of my own worldview. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but, but but just the way he said, it, he's so sincere, and, I, and 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 you kind of just go, yeah, this is. This is what life should be like, a, a sort of you, you, everyone having a sort of free forum to say these things and, and, and say them with passion, but not sort of arrogance. No arrogance there, was there? Br- br- yeah, absolutely so, none. So cool. Um, let's finish today's show on a genius space fact. This is actually oh, a space on. fact I had lined up for last week, but we forgot to do it. So we didn't Uh-oh. have it. You know, we actually cl- closed last show without a space fact. Did we? Yeah. But this I was think the we one were just we were too excited about our we guest. Were, well, we hit we me were. with this we, one, Matt. It better so be good. One. So, in the first few seconds, the tiny few seconds after the star begins its transformation into a neutron star, the energy leaving in neutrinos is equal to the total amount of light emitted by all the stars in the observable universe. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Yeah, so just for the first, first fractions of a second of a of a yeah of a, a, a basically a star going supernova and collapsing down into a neutron star, it gives off just this unbelievable bright light that's just so bright it's actually brighter than the the rest of the galaxy put together. Can we can we harness that power, Matt? Uh, well. What you don't want to be is near one. So, you know, obviously there, there's stars near us that are about to go supernova, like uh, Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse or however you want to yeah. say it. Again, see, I just don't know. Betelgeuse is how I've heard most people say it, but um, but a lot of people but call it not, Betelgeuse. you're not committing they? to it. I'm, I'm not committing to it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh Yeah, and, and it's that, that could go at any time. That could go at any time, or or already has, of course, a few thousand years ago. Uh, but it could. But we could see it at any time, and it would brighten up the sky. So it'd be like daytime for a few weeks here. But if it was closer, of course, it could actually threaten our very existence. It could threaten our existence. Yeah. So but I'm going to write to Elon Drink and ask him to harness its power. He can do it. He can do it, Matt. Well, I'll tell you what they are quite useful for, neutron stars. They can be used as a GPS system, perhaps, throughout the universe, because they're these standard candles that pulsate at, ex- you know, at these absolutely precise rhythms. You can use them as a sort of uh, positioning system. And I believe the Russians or the Chinese are, 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 doing, are, are sort of starting to look into that concept and get satellites up to do precisely that. 
That's genius. Yeah. So uh, there's a when, lot of clever people in the world, yeah, yeah. isn't there? So when we eventually get round to building starships, uh, and the, do you know what the first starship ever to be constructed will be called? The Jamie Franklin. Go on. In in honor in yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It's going to be called the Jamie Franklin, not. Jamie. Oh, I won't say. It's going to be called the Jamie Franklin <laughs> in honor of the uh, podcast host from the early 21st century. I think it will be. You know, yeah. I think it really will. That's what they'll say. Because no one has done more to further space than me. Neutrinos sounds like a really nutritious cereal, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you want, oh, yeah. I, I woke up with a bowl of neutrinos this morning. Yeah. If you had your neutrinos that, today, that'd that, be the ad. Uh, yeah, from the Neutron Star Company. Oh, I'd love that. Oh. With a bit, you know, bit of honey drizzled on them. I tell you what, it, it's a good name for a beer, isn't it? All right, guys. You know the score. Subscribe, like, five stars, comment. Yes. You're, you're done now. <laughs> Are you done though? <laughs> Hold tight, Jamie. Hold <laughs> tight, Jamie fam. <laughs> Hold tight. My yeah. man, Jamie, he's got a frisbee. All right, Matt. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'd like to wish you a good weekend. Okay. And you, listener. Everyone, everyone, everyone out there in listener world, have a lovely weekend. Have a lovely week. Keep listening and keep looking up to the sky and hoping that one day it won't be a rock entering our solar system, but a spacecraft from another world. That is inspiring. I'm going to go and look up right now. Nice one. Bye-bye. Bye then. Where's my beach shoes, Matt?